Welcome to the Serious Leisure Podcast. The Serious Leisure Podcast brings you fascinating stories of our struggles and our successes balancing leisure, work and well-being in higher education. This is a special episode recorded during the Festival of Learning at the University of the West of England in Bristol. In today's episode, we'll share with you our reflections and insights from our podcast conversations to date. We'll focus on what these insights tell us about how we should educate our students so that they're not only employable, but also able to lead balanced, healthy and fulfilled lives. My name is Petia Petrova. I'm Associate Director of Academic Practice here at the University of the West of England. We refer to our university as UE. I'm joined by our regular podcast contributors, Dr. Sam Elkington. Sam is from Teesside University and he is our serious leisure expert. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure to be here. I'm also joined by Kat Branch. Kat leads our UE Centre for Music. Welcome, Kat. Hello, everybody. We are also joined by our UE colleagues, Dr. Fiona Jordan, Associate Dean for Strategic Partnerships at the UE's Faculties of Business and Law. Fiona is our podcast guest today. She's both an expert on serious leisure and on employability. Welcome, Fiona. Hi, lovely to be here. And we're also joined today by our Festival of Learning session chair, Pavel Sapik, who will kindly keep us on time. And of course, we are very excited that we are joined today by our lovely Festival of Learning audience. Welcome, everyone. This session will have the form of a podcast. The four of us, Sam, Kat, Fiona and I, will engage in a conversation. We'll do so for about 40 minutes. We encourage you all to submit questions and comments throughout our discussion. The chat is yours, users. We'll respond to your questions, comments and insights with the help of our chair in the final 15 minutes of the podcast. So that's the end of our introduction and our setup. So let us start with what is Serious Leisure and what is the Serious Leisure podcast? Sam, would you introduce us to the concept of serious leisure and what is it and why do we have a podcast on it? Absolutely. Thanks, Petia. Um, okay. Yeah. So what is serious leisure? Uh, so for, for many that are unfamiliar, which will probably be most of you, unfamiliar with the concept itself, it might seem oxymoronic to have a concept of serious leisure uh, as a focus for a podcast, but I'm going to give you a bit of an overview. You know, it's, a, it's an established theoretical framework in leisure studies and has been for over 30 years. Um, so it was originally uh, coined and developed by Professor Robert Stebbins over at University of Calgary. Um, and through uh, Stebbins's work has been developed over the last, well, nearly 40 years uh, and expanded into what's now known as the serious leisure perspective. And I'm going to give you a bit of a rundown as to what what that covers. But in essence, the serious leisure is a way of looking at leisure activities and how people experience them. Um, and 40 years ago, this was a very new area. And even now, um, we're, we're continuously learning more and more about them, as we have done throughout the podcast. So what is serious leisure? Well, 
to give you a, a definition type overview, it's the systematic pursuit of three different forms of leisure at its core. So amateur, hobbyist or volunteer based core activities that are highly substantial and interesting in their own right, offering fulfillment uh, and a series of enduring benefits for their participants. And in the case of that involvement, can lead to a career type involvement uh, with and through the acquiring or an expression of different combinations of skills, knowledge and experience. So that's the serious part. The serious part is the nature of involvement of participants. And I'm sure you can think about uh, le uh, leisure experiences or pursuits that you yourselves have and, and those those activities that you tend to take more seriously than others. But the, the term serious here is a, a native term. And by that, it's the term that um, people use when uh, Robert Stebbins was talking initially with uh, participants of leisure um, to define the nature of their leisure involvement. And, and it me really means and embodies such qualities as earnestness, sincerity, importance, carefulness. It's through those that kind of essence um, that these three types of activity of e everyday lives uh, become deeply fulfilling and self-actualizing. Um, so let's look a little bit about uh, into the the different types just quickly. OK, so we have the amateurs and, and the, the amateur uh, participants in serious leisure are found in arts, science, sport, entertainment, where there is inevitably a link one way or another with prof uh, professional counterparts and are developed in that way, but they don't go all the way to that professional uh, involvement, but there are there is that relationship. Uh, the hobbyists, uh, well, there's five different categories of hobbyists currently as, as things stand, as we understand them. So we have the collectors, the makers, the tinkers, uh, um, sorry, activity participants uh, in, in non-competitive rule-based pursuits, such as fishing and uh, choir singing, for example. Uh, players of sports and games. So these are the competitive rule based activities, but don't necessarily have those professional counterparts like long distance running and competitive open water swimming, for example. And the enthusi enthusiasts of the liberal arts ho uh, hobbies, which are predominantly, you, you know, where we take you know, book clubs and often some of the more kind of hands on art and craft based activities. Now, the volunteers are those individuals who either formally or informally are offering what's known as uncoerced help uh, uh, with very little or at least, you know, the very most token pay for the benefit of others and wider community. So there are three different categories. Um, and we've used this uh, this overview, this perspective, this lens to really start to look at and interrogate uh, different forms of leisure that uh, colleagues at UE and actually now we've extended that to colleagues at, at Teesside as well as a way of understanding the relationship they have with their leisure pursuits, why and how they take it seriously, what that means to them, but also how they use those pursuits uh, to navigate 
the the landscape of work and life in terms of finding that balance and we've actually come across some wonderful stories and that's what this podcast is all about it's all about the stories that people have about their leisure pursuits and the impact it has on their lives uh and it's you know that impact is a very positive one and it's important for their their own well-being and their as well as their professional and personal development not just in the, uh, the the pursuit itself, but the transference that has for the the work that they do uh, in their roles at university. And, and again, we've talked to all walks of life um, with, uh, with colleagues here at, uh, at UENT side. It's not just the the academics as such. You know, we we've talked to professional service staff um, and you know a cats team as well. You know, in terms of the centre of music, which again is is. It's kind of, I guess you'd use the, the term enterprise if you're going to formally categorise it, but it's not quite that. But so we've, we've looked at the whole spectrum. And so it's not unique to one group or another. You know, we all experience leisure and some more seriously than the others. So it's been really interesting to get into the, into the detail there and, and the nuance. But it's also uh, timely. And, I'm, and Petty has spoken about this on a number of occasions uh, in, the, in the podcast themselves, where, you know, as we've had to navigate an unprecedented time of challenge and stress and anxiety uh, through the COVID pandemic, all of a sudden leisure has taken on new meaning for many. Uh, and whether that's be- because their usual leisure routines have been interrupted or even stopped completely because of what's going on, or because they've had to think and work and, and be creative in how they can continue those serious leisure pursuits even in socially distanced uh, and often remote uh, ways so we've looked at through the through the podcast you know the ways that we use our leisure to navigate and often negate that work-life balance more generally but certainly in the context in the more situated uh, context of the pandemic how how people are using their serious leisure pursuits to maintain that sense of well-being uh, and what we found actually is uh, certainly for me, and I'm going to touch on this a little later on as well, is how it, it is central to individuals' uh, resilience through this pandemic uh, that they've been able to continue um, and persevere through the um, through the pandemic. So just to talk a little bit quickly uh, then about the the defining features of serious leisure on the back end of that. All right. So what. What does it actually look like? What does it mean? Um, well, there's there's a number of different uh, ways of ways of describing it, but there's there's a number of key features. First is that sense of per, per, perseverance and commitment, and that's really come through uh, through the, the the conversation we've had in the podcast through the pandemic. Really kind of shone a light on that. The, so we persevere. That career type involvement. That it's it's a long term thing. It's not something that's short term. It is a long term thing. So casual, uh, serious leisure, sorry, is often counter, uh, the counterpart of that is, is the, is the, the idea of casual leisure, which doesn't have that long term, uh, engagement and the serious note to it. We've also got those, those distinctive sets of skills and, um, abilities that the core activities of serious leisure tends to develop. So think about your fly fishing or puppeteering, for instance. They're quite unique sets of skills. 
Uh, attachment to a unique social world as well is something else that comes through in serious leisure. Yeah. So, um, I know Petia hopefully won't mind me, uh, bringing this up, but is, uh, involved in improvisational comedy. And that's a, again, a unique social world. And with that comes a unique social ethos, which develops its sense of attachment and identity. And identity is a core part of, uh, of uh, serious leisure and something that strongly comes through in our in our stories and finally you know i've already mentioned about the durable benefits you know in terms of self-actualization self-fulfillment but also the social the social benefits as well which i think through the pandemic has only become more important so the you know the contact the relationships that we build through that the socialization into different ways of working and thinking uh, that come along through those core activities so when we think about leisure in these terms, we, we actually get a fairly uh, unique lens in which to explore our work, leisure, balance and relationship. And that's really what the, the podcast has been all about, is trying to unpack that and gain a better sense of what that means for us and also what we can be doing about it moving forwards. Thank you, Sam. Um, Kat, I wonder if you can come in and see if there's anything you would like to add to Sam's exposition about serious leisure and the podcasts. Thanks, Pessia. Yes, um, it's so helpful to hear Sam just explain uh, the, a sort of basic understanding of what we mean when we say serious leisure, because, in fact, the word leisure is, I think, really loaded in our culture isn't it and uh, you hear the word leisure and we're thinking oh that's something you know innately frivolous that's a that's an extra or we're like oh leisure oh that's that's a luxury I don't have um we can't fit that in um or even when we think about some of those definitions that Sam was explaining uh for us uh, the qualities of of serious leisure leisure to which we're really de dedicating quite a bit of our time and resources and um he was using words like um earnestness things like that and within our culture perhaps we might start to feel is it rather worthy or or perhaps a bit ridiculous you know if we think about amateur dramatics for example we are innately thinking of a comedy sketch so there are some challenges around the word uh, leisure, this idea of it being non-essential and non-core, which is problematic because it, that, it can really get in the way of us in our professional lives and presumably also for our students in their studying lives from understanding why it's important to not be completely defined by your main working or study um, activities. The other difficulty with leisure is this idea that that luxury aspect is we think of it requiring resources. Um, and in this way, I'm really talking about sort of Borgesian capitals, um, uh, social capital. So we need we need to have the right um, background to engage in leisure. We need to have the right economic capitals. If we can't fund the lessons and teaching and equipment and fishing rods or whatever it is we need, how, how can we even get involved? What if we don't operate in the kinds of circles where those opportunities are available? What if we didn't have the cultural background that might have introduced us to a serious leisure activity that could be really beneficial and engaging? So it's, it's, it's an interesting area. And it, in, in contrast to this, mental health and uh, the re resilience, which has become a, quite a hot word in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Um, healthy lifestyle and um, thinking of our students, employability skills. These are all firmly centred as essential and core. 
Now, leisure, as you've heard Sam explain, speaks directly to mental health, resilience, healthy lifestyle balance. And we're going to get on to talking about employability skills. So it is in no way extra or a luxury or outside. It is core because it speaks to those same core things. So the serious leisure perspective is, is very helpful in this way because it speaks to organisations and helps to construct those really important narratives that can make sure that funding and support is available for the kinds of opportunities we want for um, for staff and students. Of course, in my case, this is the Centre for Music, which is an exceptionally rare provision. So you heard Sam struggling to define what myself and my colleagues fit into in terms of the university. Half of us are academic half of us are professional services we are a complete mishmash weird team because we have this completely weird role of offering opportunities for music activity to staff and students but not necessarily related to work or study program life we do do stuff with that as well (laughs) but we're actually principally focusing on helping people enrich what they're doing so serious leisure perspective is very uh, is very helpful for people like me because I can help to build those business cases that make sure these kinds of projects run. But the main focus of our podcast is actually the way in which the serious leisure perspective helps individuals, helps each of us in our own worlds to dismantle this story of kind of low importance extra luxury don't have time for attitude towards leisure and instead to value it and to position it in our kind of life portfolio in a different way. It helps us reflect on the way we prioritise and what are the reasons for which we've made our priorities so that we can bring some challenge to that. And this is really what we're trying to do in the podcast through the storytelling. So we're not trying to lecture anybody because we're all up against the same problems. Sam, Petia, Fiona and I all very much in the same difficulty as anyone who's listening today trying to get our work life balance correct. But hearing from what people are doing is a really inspirational and insightful um, an innovative way of challenging, challenging these narratives um, and can really help us uh, work out what we can do for ourselves, applying the serious leisure perspective to our thinking and create a more healthy and balanced life for ourselves. And of course, the students that we're working with. Uh, Petty, I'm going to hand back to you. Thank you, Kat. And that's very much my reflection from from where we, we, we are with this podcast today. So we have released six episodes and we have a couple more uh, ready to go um, that we're very excited to be sharing um, in, in the coming week or so. To my mind, ultimately, the podcast really unpacks how we can live more meaningful, balanced and healthy lives. And what I found really interesting when um, we've had conversations with our guests is that they often say, I've never really thought about this or talked about this in so much depth. I've never really had a chance to reflect on why I'm doing this. Indeed, we had a couple of colleagues who volunteered. You, anybody could volunteer to be a guest on our podcast who volunteered because they wanted to really reflect and, and unpack some of their experiences. And they, they, they found that, that our podcast can be a space for that. So this led me to think about how deeply are we refl- reflecting on our serious leisure pursuit or the place of leisure in, in our lives? I think as uh, Sam said, recently more so because of COVID and all the implications of that. Um, but it also led me to think is where in our educating of students 
do we make spaces for students to reflect on the place of leisure in their lives and how they can not have not only successful careers, but also balanced lives where there is a place for leisure in their lives, regardless of their kind of serious career pursuit um, and, and their employability and, and the, the work side of their lives. Um, so, so we started thinking about how can we educate, coming back to the purpose of higher education, how can we educate the full individual for professional, but also for personal longevity, including a healthy retirement. So how can we live full and healthy um, um, as well as productive lives? So so this is where we're going to head in with this conversation. So I'll, I'll have, hand back to Kat to, to bring in some experiences from the Center for Music. And then I'll bring in Fiona, who, who actually works extensively on employability and employer links um, here to you. Kat. Thanks so much, Patia. So it's it's been a really interesting learning curve hearing um, such a wide variety of stories and insights from our guests on the podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to them, I know this sounds like a blatant sales pitch, but I really invite you on a well-being and understanding basis to check out these other episodes, because as you hear people's tales from what they're doing in their personal lives, whether it's um, caring for animals or fly fishing or musical activity or theatre, or, or something even much more low key, there are some really interesting themes that have emerged, which from my perspective, in terms of how I lead the Centre for Music and how we frame it and how we structure that work, has really helped me consider what we need to emphasise. We also draw on um, arts and health uh, narratives around the Centre for Music work, as you can imagine, and there's an amazing amount of dovetailing um, between these two perspectives, the serious leisure perspective and the arts and health discourse. Of course, that, that is an enormous area I've just referred to there. But if you'd like to find out more about the links, we have an episode where we discuss social prescribing and its intersection with um, serious leisure, which I'd really direct you to. Um, the main theme for me um, in terms of uh, how we think about our students is something that Sam also really emphasised, which is identity. And while our guests have been telling us about their different leisure pursuits in the context of um, their career lives as well, there's um, a, a very interesting riffs on what we might think of as our own identity. We've heard about identities that have been multifaceted. So an idea of a, a single whole identity that has many different faces um, or perhaps a plural identity, a sense of, well, I have my professional self and actually in a very boundaried way. I have my personal self and that being a way that um, identity is working very successfully. Also, um, people taking their primary sense of their identity from something which is not work or not study. So basically variations around this theme of identity. Now, for us who are working in higher education, we have to remember that we are the power holders and our students are operating within a framework at which they are they are underneath the power of that framework. So we have to think very carefully about what we are doing when we're working with students who are at a, an emergent phase in terms of their identity. So there's loads that we can do here. Yes, it's about teaching, but it's also about our whole understanding of what the nature of identity is and our values about identity and how they can be distributed across various aspects of our lives. So in this way, um, 
from a Centre for Music perspective, this puts at the absolute top of my agenda the importance of making sure that whatever I'm talking about with students and however we're communicating music opportunities, that we have got the broadest possible range of individuals. Um, we focus a lot on making sure that what we're offering crosses all kinds of genres and cultural expressions, that we make sure all of our publicity covers all kinds of um, different individuals in terms of their ethnic background, in terms of gender. And I'm really pleased to say that because of this really concerted effort, we are making some progress. So um, the university at UWE has a BAME population of around about uh, 16 to 18 percent, somewhere around there, I think. And um, we are managing at the Centre for Music to get an engagement coming close to 30 percent for non-white students, which is fantastic. But for me, I still see that as, as, as an ongoing challenge. And in terms of what we do, we started just doing classical um, and musical theatre. But this is a very narrow lane. Again, thinking about those Borgesian capitals, someone who's going to access classical music is going to have needed some significant advantages early in their background. So we've made sure that we've really opened it up. So if you're a DIY musician or perhaps you've done absolutely nothing at all musical or you just enjoy listening to it, which I mean would include really a vast amount of people. Um, the, there are things they can do to engage with us, to feel uh, seen, to feel part of that community and to develop a form of identity that may be emerging within them with us to support that activity and valuing and valuing that aspect of themselves and it not being about just what they're studying. Um, a second key theme is within this process of leisure career that you heard Sam describing this idea that um, when we take our leisure seriously, we have a, we have a journey from A to B to C to D. What's next? And um, that requires some time and commitment and passion. And it can be extremely meaningful. And again, in our podcast, hearing people's stories of their leisure careers has been honestly inspiring. I have actually shed tears in one of the last episodes we record because I, I was so moved by this journey that people were describing. Um, in this way, therefore, for, for me at the centre, it's so important that there's opportunities for complete beginners and, you know, the super experts and everything in between, because how else can anyone hope to have something that could fit this category of leisure career? If basically you have there's a there's a prerequisite of knowledge and expertise that you need and then you come and then you do that thing. There's no opportunity to develop a leisure career. So we've deliberately structured it so that people can access um, and engage with their sort of music related leisure in any way at any level, as well as just this multiplicity around genres and cultural expressions. And then the last aspect for me is this issue of um, balance that both Sam and Petia have talked about. And we know about work-life balance. We talk about it all the time, don't we? This sort of unicorn of work-life balance in which nobody is apparently achieving, but apart from people on social media, perhaps. Um, and uh, in terms of how we talk to our students, um, it's important, I think, that we need to, we need to be embodying this as the power holders in higher education. We need to be embodying this understanding that um, we're not just doing lip service to work-life balance, but we actually might take the risk of talking about some of our leisure life and our kind of extra work identity with our students to normalise that and to validate it. OK, so there's very interesting individual meanings that have come out from the podcast of people's activities. And in the same way at the centre, we, we have a very student-led approach so that those individual meaning opportunities are there. However, the, the benefits aspect 
this balance aspect to taking leisure seriously. That is a universal aspect that has come through in the podcast. Whatever the difficulties and challenges people have come up against, that those benefits of the recharging, the resting, that the sort of getting release, the enjoyment in life, that pops up everywhere in all kinds of different ways. So we need to help our students feel that sense of permission, that sense of endorsement and celebration of prioritising their leisure life. And we do that as, as, as the power holders, as the role models. And, and, and I don't mean necessarily about standing up and going on about it, you know, because our students, of course, hear us do that a lot about our, our, our subjects or whatever service we're providing. So I'm not really thinking of that. It's much more holistic um, paradigm where we allow ourselves to occupy not just our work identity. I don't mean our personal private stuff, of course not, but we allow those additional parts of what we do, our leisure lives, to permeate into how we talk to our students. And in that way, that is a much more powerful way for our students to perhaps broaden their definition of leisure and revalue it in a different way. So finally, um, this aspect of um, making leisure important and, and why we would want to do that. It is it, it's, it's critical that we create opportunities for students. So as a young person, you know, we, we know that when students come to university, they might join lots of societies. They're going to get involved in the nightlife, do this and that. But there are some students who actually feel quite overwhelmed and, and don't necessarily do that or, or they don't know what to do. Or actually, it's much more about throwing off a bunch of controls about living with your parents and you just bin all that off and um, just sort of li live life as high as you can. But that is not perhaps necessarily um, helping students to develop their, you know, their identity and well-being through other leisure pursuits. So we need we need ongoing, solid, high quality opportunities for students. And for this reason, it's essential to me that the Centre for Music is an ongoing and consistent provision it's not a one-off special event it's no good doing a like leisure saturday let's talk about all the fun things we can do once in our lives that's not going to help our students we ourselves need to take this uh, seriously and make sure that what is there is consistent so the centers the centers are available seven days a week it's 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 open the whole year apart from august and uh, 10 hours a day and i think that is absolutely essential and i'm delighted to say that it's also free for students and again, just circling back briefly to Borgia, it's essential to me that we don't put economic barriers in terms of access to arts activities and leisure in general where we possibly can. So that we've got the maximum chance of helping everybody at university, especially those of us at post 92 institutions where we're much more likely to have students from varied social backgrounds with varied economic means, that we make sure that everybody is invited. Everyone can get involved. Thanks, Kat. So Kat very nicely brought the student and staff well-being um, discussion into into one space and, and the, import, the importance of us um, demonstrating good practice. And I do remember when I was um, teaching undergraduates and exchanging emails at 11 p.m. at night, maybe I wasn't the best role model for my students about leading balancing, um, balancing lives. I will bring in Fiona here. Um, Fiona is both an expert in leisure studies, so her, her, her um, academic background is in that area, but Fiona's current role is also focusing on student employability and employer links. And as, as a kind of a guest to, to the podcast and somebody who's lit, listened to some of our episodes, I would really like to, to hear her take on the place of leisure in staff and student lives and also in, in the student's education. Fiona. 
Thanks, Petia. Uh, I think it's really interesting to, to talk about all of this and sort of bringing it together for me in, in my various interests. Um, we've talked a lot about student identities and staff identities, and I think that comes through really clearly in the, the podcasts. And picking up on what Kat's just said, this idea of legitimising leisure as valuable, as valid, and not something that we earn the right to do after we've finished working, if we ever finish working, which in the new blurred world of working at home for many of us is is rather more challenging. And also picking up on the idea of what we can do through leisure and different leisure pursuits is help students to develop their sense of worthwhileness and confidence and building ways to well-being and something that Sam's talked about um, before I think really struck me this idea of life-wide learning we talk a lot about lifelong learning to what extent do we look at life-wide learning and it almost takes us back to the big question of what is higher education for what are we what are we actually trying to do and what do we want our graduates to be? And Petty has shared a paper uh, by Chad Hansen from 2014, which it refers at the start actually back to 1977 and Howard Bowen saying the impact of higher education is likely to be determined more by the people graduates become than what they know when they leave us. And if we think about that broader idea of what what attributes do our graduates really need to have, there's been quite a challenge and a discourse around this in employability literature, which really asks, in a well-meaning uh, effort to get our students employable after they leave us, to get them to the careers they want to have, have we really started to focus a lot on the outcomes in terms of the cognitive skills we need them to have? Are we being driven a bit by metrics and politics to think we really just want them to be employable and economically active? Are we really losing sight of the broader idea of what the graduate attributes should be? What kind of people they are when they leave us and what we want them to do? Getting jobs fantastic and I certainly wouldn't want them to be unemployed but to what extent are we actually encouraging them to think more broadly and this is where it sort of starts to cross with that idea of do we talk to students about their leisure and we've tended sometimes I think uh, certainly in employability in advising students building CVs to focus more on the volunteering aspect of serious leisure as in do more do additional things maybe thinking more about balancing that with getting them to reflect on what they already do in their leisure and how that might in fact be developing them uh, with these graduate attributes. And where we've moved to at UWE I think gives us a really good opportunity to do that because if we think about the graduate attributes as values so we want students, we want our graduates to be ambitious, we want them to be innovative, inclusive, collaborative, enterprising, focusing on the values that we want them to have and the conversations. Maybe this is where it starts to connect for me with serious leisure, encouraging them to reflect on what they're doing broadly in their life wide learning and how that is actually making them um, a, a graduate that who will not just be employable, but also um, contribute more to society generally. Thank you, Fiona. I think this might be a good time to, for us to continue the conversation, but also invite our audience to become part of the conversation. 
So I, I see uh, um, Nia has just um, uh, added a, a comment. Um, so let us, in, um, I think, Pavel, this is, this is the point where we'll get, we'll get to talk to our audience and, and ask you for comments and for questions so we can continue this conversation as a wider conversation for everybody. So if I can bring in Nia here who says, so true, many of our students volunteer and don't think of it as volunteering. They're just helping um, out. So Nia is from UE volunteering, so <laughs> hence, hence the comment. Nia, would you like to come in further uh, with your comment? Yeah, I just, um, I think the session's been really, really useful. Um, it's certainly kind of a new, um, new term for me and the way that you're kind of phrasing it and it just really yeah there's a lot of similarities with our with our team and and how we try and get students to reflect on on what they've done in the past and what they're doing now and a lot of them you, you know you say well are you already volunteering they're like oh well it's you know I just like help the local football team I just do that because it's because it's fun and I like kids and you're like well brilliant that's the start of your kind of you know career journey there's soft skills there and that reflection piece is um is so true um but also about the the idea of um different different cultural backgrounds coming to volunteering with different meanings for for the word and just thinking about uh, the reflection in the meaning of the word leisure as well and and it might seem quite elitist to some people in some ways or almost like unachievable when people are really busy and they think of leisure as a nice to have rather than an essential part of mental health and resilience and well-being and all the other things that comes with it so yeah a lot of a lot of parallels it's been really, really brilliant thank you thanks Nia I see Sam has his mic on which I assume I think means that he has something to say Sam you assume right, Petia. Yes. Now I'm, I'm making some notes here because that's a really interesting point here. Uh, I'm just not looking necessarily just at volunteering, but the, the the general attitude towards leisure, I think, is 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 part of this whole conversation. And you know, if we were to say what's the what's the kind of dominant leisure attitude, I think it probably would be one, particularly in the context of what we're talking about here, where we're trying to get a sense of how it relates to employability, higher education, you know, the educative kind of benefits of of all of this. And I, I do think, you know, in, in many cases we get that it's almost transactional kind of attitude towards leisure, as, as uh, Fiona has already said, you know, it's an additive thing. So we're going to go and do volunteering because, I mean, and I'm guilty of doing this myself when I was at university, by the way, wanting to be a, you know, a budding PE teacher. And, you know, volunteering for weeks and weeks and hours and hours on end at various schools in Bedfordshire to gain that experience, to put me ahead of the my, my fellow uh, my fellow, fellow graduates when it came to applying for things like PCGEs. You know, and it was it was at that time it was, the, you know, it was what we were told to do. But it's that transactional kind of instrumental attitude towards that, you know, which is what is essentially a, a leisure based, you know, because it was in my spare time. But it was couched in a very different way and I think you know we do have a job to do in higher education to open that up and, and Petty has already spoken about this idea of a more holistic conceptualization of leisure and it's at university what it means what it could mean what it means to people so that reflective attitude and I think if we were to look at it for a leisure attitude I think that it is part it is that it is largely trying to encourage not just through the formal 
kind of uh, delivery of our, our courses. And but it's actually about the wraparound, the interconnections with the other aspects of university life and how that then elaborates and helps explain those connections uh, to leisure and what that the roles and benefits that could play. Petty, do you want to come in there? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Sam. To my mind, it was just simply if it's so difficult for us to leave, live balanced lives um, and if it's such a struggle and so difficult to make time to reflect, um, to, to, to keep, keep work in a sufficient enough bubble that there's space for other bits of life um, in, in, our, in our lives, then the, the question simply was, why are we not having that explicit conversations with our students? so that we are preparing them to, to have successful careers, but also to balance, to have balanced lives. <laughs> Sam wants to come in and then we'll go on to, to Francis. Sam. No, I, I wonder whether me and Fiona have had exactly the same thought. Okay. Exactly the same time. Go on. Yeah, because in another life, um, I mean, I'm obviously now squarely in the learning and teaching domain in higher education um, in terms of academic development, but you know, my, my academic background is leisure studies. I taught and studied leisure uh, as a subject to be taught um, for many, many years. And and what we've seen, actually, is that particularly in the UK, not so much in the in the States and, and Canada and, and a little bit in Australia, but certainly in the UK, we've seen those courses uh, dwindle. Yeah. And actually, we're seeing, you know, it might be, you know, a week's content to be covered now where it used to be whole undergraduate and postgraduate degrees uh, and I myself I know Fiona we, we've we've collaborated and and, and worked together at various uh, leisure studies associations conferences you know that's something that I think we need to rekindle but maybe what we need to do is rekindle it in a slightly different way. Fiona did you want to come in there? I think you've probably articulated it uh, rather better than I could have, Sam. And it was pretty much the same point. It was thinking about how we can look at leisure with a critical lens and bring it into something that isn't just that frivolous frivolousness that, that people were mentioning before, but it's actually a really important, intrinsic, essential part of life. And actually, you know, some of the, the comments in the chat about giving permission to have leisure and giving permission to students to recognise that actually it has its own value, but it is also making them this broader person. And we've somehow separated academic skills and uh, volunteering skills. We've, we've, we've separated skills out in a way that, that doesn't happen because actually, as people, we are complex and messy. And if we want to actually represent, represent ourselves authentically, Actually, it should be about the people that we are and the pursuits, therefore, that we do outside work are in an absolutely central and important part of that. And maybe part of the challenge here is without that critical lens of leisure, Sam, are we really helping the students to narrate who they are as people in a way that is meaningful when they graduate, which helps them get the job and careers? It's a question, really. Um, th thanks, Fiona. Sam, if you would allow me, I will bring in Frances here. Frances has her, her hand up and wants to make a comment. Frances. Hi, Betia. Thank you, everyone. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion. Um, I want to pick up something that Kat said about that, like, work-life balance and legitimising leisure. Um, I'm sort of six years out of graduating from UWE and work at UWE. 
Uh, and I will admit that it got to the point, I think, by this Christmas that my job was basically my identity and I put everything of myself into work. And it was that, you know, you work hard, you graduate and you really push your career. And it got to the point at Christmas where I was really at a breaking point of this isn't sustainable. And um, I talked to my manager and I've now gone to a nine day fortnight. So, again, still doing the same hours. It's like that you condense 10 days of work into nine. And I have every other Friday off. Um, and for me, I'm also a carer outside of work. And it was having one day in a fortnight where I just do leisure activities. It's literally just for my open water swimming and my crafting. Um, but it's protected time. And my mental health and everything else has completely improved since making that time for leisure. And I think, you know, I've been, I'll admit, I've been knitting while we've been listening to the chat this morning because it helps me focus at work. And it, it really hones you in. And I do think that, and I was so worried going to a manager and saying, can I have one day off a fortnight? to do knitting and swimming <laughs> and how that would be taken. And it was met really supportively. Um, and I think I had lots of people saying, oh, are you going to set up an Etsy store? Are you going to, you know, make this into a side hustle? And I was like, why is it that we have to have our hobby as a side hustle for it to be legitimate? Like, I just want to sit and knit for a day and not have to worry about my care responsibilities or worry about my career. And that shift that I made at Christmas has just made a big impact. And I think, yeah, I'm so glad that I made that choice. And I'm so glad I had a manager that was supportive in that. Um, but yeah, I, I think this has been brilliant and it's really, I'm, I'm definitely going to go back into the podcast because I think this whole topic is great. Um, and not something I'd come across or really thought about before. So thank you. Thanks, Francis. Excellent. One more listener. Uh, Nicola, would you like to come in with a question, please? Yeah, hi. It was really just to reinforce, I think, what the speakers have already said. Um, I, as I'm a senior lecturer and, and year three program lead for adult nursing. And we always say to our students in nursing, you have to be able to give out from a place of wealth within yourself. And that comes from having appropriate leisure time. And we find this particularly important for our international students who are very much got to do, got to work harder, got to do my studies, got to make my family proud. And we say, well, hang on a minute. You've also got to think about your um, student experience. What we see is that sometimes students are completely out of kilter and cannot see the value of leisure. And we have to actually give them the permission. That was it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And somebody who... Um, last century was an international student. I absolutely he hear this. And of course, class comes into this as well. Um, and, and the pressure that a student might put themselves under to succeed, uh, whilst, um, incidentally working themselves towards burnout and negative outcomes as opposed to the positive outcomes. Um, if we have, we take that, um, that, that time to, to, rejuvenate ourselves in different ways i saw someone's to come in here and then i'll go to the colleague who just raised their hands thanks buddy yeah i just wanted to kind of knit those two comments or observations together really and and you know what we're talking about here uh obviously we're looking at within the the bubble culturally of higher education but we could be talking about any any realm of uh, of work but particularly in higher education um you know, that culture is dominated uh, by, you know, things like productivity, impact, you know, all of these kinds of words. Uh, and that obviously that translates into how we go about our jobs as academics, if we are teachers or if we are having any kind of interactions with students. You know, that obviously that culture does persist. It is pervasive. 
But, you know, when, I just want to come back to that, the, the idea of that reflective leisure attitude. It's something I know me and Fiona, we spoke about, I can remember speaking about it many years ago. But in terms of, you know, what's the alternative here? The alternative is, well, pretty much what we've been talking about. But um, it really boils down to a question for me. What are we working for? And I think that's that's a, you know, a, a good jumping off point. And I love um, Nicola's last point around wealth within yourself. I think I know, you know, to, to in, within the allied health professions, you know, there, there is a there is a culture of that, you know, in terms of that reflect reflexivity. Um, and I, I know from personal experience, I've learned a lot from nurses in terms of my my own interactions. But I do wonder whether, you know, and it, it was Francis who talked about the need for a shift. And I think that's something the podcast is certainly speaking to in terms of legitimizing talking about leisure in a culture which would ordinarily not allow for that to happen. Um, I.e., it doesn't count because it doesn't lead to impact or it doesn't lead to being productive in what we deem to be important. And of course, ironically, it means all of those things. Fiona. Yeah, I, I was just thinking um, Hansen, this paper as well, also talks about the need to get back. So we we ha- we we look a lot at learning outcomes, um, but we tend to be quite defined about what those are. And, and, and obviously, I guess a lot of uh, a lot of them are cognitive. He talks about moving to a more identity based view of what a graduate should be, which I think links Sam to what you were just saying, really, doesn't it? It's it's about what is your total identity or what are your total identities um, when you graduate, part of it will be about what you know and can do, but actually a lot more of it will be about the person you have become. And if we take leisure separately from what we think about with professional, if we separate personal and professional, as sometimes I think uh, we, we've tempted to do or we've tended to do, then actually you're losing a huge amount of what shapes a person aren't you, outside that. So I think bringing it in is valuable for the students. We were hearing this morning um, in the earlier presentation about the levels of anxiety amongst students. There's also something really important, and it comes out in the social prescribing podcast particularly, around, as you say, that permission. So I think it was Kat maybe mentioned earlier on about the power relationship inherent in higher education. And so encouraging, actively encouraging, and it's lovely to hear some of the examples that are being done in the university, encouraging students to think about and articulate and narrate their leisure, I think is really important. Um, thanks, Fiona. And um, to this end, Russell and Lynn in the chat has, have also talked about how they kind of showcase their that their identity is not 2D, it's not only work, that there's actually work and their hobbies. And then they bring that into the classroom as a way of relating to, to their students and also getting students to think about wider than um, your studies. Arasa or Lynn, would uh, any of you want to, to come in here with a comment directly? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So, so yes, yeah, so I've, I've been uh, trying to role model more and more with my students. Um, so they know that there are, you know, I have set hours. I, you know, I don't reply to emails at strange times and stuff like that because I am making the space for doing, uh, mainly my singing, which is my, my big hobby, which is, um, you know, insane, um, and takes up 
probably too much time and money sometimes. But yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh, But I also use an icebreaker with my students when they arrive, which is I get them to design their own coat of arms. Um, and that the, 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 they design a shield that is based on the different facets of their being. So they'll be there. They might have it in quarters where one's about their studies, one's about their family, one's about their hobbies. Yeah. And they put different things in the sections and, and just get them to think about their whole, whole being. Because I have seen students near burnout and, and you want, that to not happen you want to protect them from that happening and so reminding of them early on um, I think is really important. Thanks Lynn so fascinating it's it's a really really good good exercise Fiona is is nodding vigorously. Um, I wonder here whether um, uh, Kat might come in Um, there's a comment around um, the uh, from Tilda that she's intrigued about the dwindling of uh, leisure studies, um, but she hears links here between the study of play and playfulness that comes from both education studies and, and anthropology and the links to that. And Sam um, and Fiona, you might also want to, to come in. But Kat, uh, is this something you want to comment on? And Tilda, of course, feel free to switch your mic on and contribute there. Yeah, thanks, Petia. I, I actually I was I smiled when I read your comment, Tilda, because um, uh, there's a when we discussed this podcast as a as a team before we started today, um, we got sucked into a slight um, instrumentalization vortex um, while we were talking about uh, the value of leisure and communicating that to students, and ended up back in the same kind of accidentally getting on those neoliberal rails of quantifying the value and measuring it. It's so difficult. And uh, you notice Fiona used the language of narrate. Um, narrating qualities, you know, rather than translating skills, this oversimplifying that we've kind of got stuck in. And your comment, Tilda, I thought was just was helpful because, again, this keeps us firmly in this much more holistic area um, where we think about in a slightly more meta way about the value of leisure. And it's interesting, the study of play and playfulness, um, uh, Petio, you might have heard mentioned she does improv theatre which is essentially obviously the principles of play are absolutely at the heart of that whole practice and again within within music in my area um developing playfulness a sort of uh, a freedom from one's own adult socially constrained self if i could put it like that um is uh, gives us access to these different creative skills as well as giving us this enormous personal benefit um, I wonder, Tilda, could you tell me a little bit more about the links that you were identifying when you popped that comment in the chat, if you're there? Um, yeah, well, my my research background is in kind of early years education and play. Um, so I've I've kind of written about, um, similar to what you were saying, actually, the, the kind of instrumentalisation of play. So looking at um, children are meant to play productively. But actually, if we look at what play is, it's not meant to be productive. It's, it's meant yeah, to be it's something like the else. Yeah, that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so actually what what I was hearing, um, I think someone was mentioning maybe Sam was talking about um, people who are tinkerers and collectors and um, etc. And I just recalled um, a book by Stuart Brown, um, who is an American theorist who writes about play. And Stuart Brown talks a lot about um, us understanding our own play personalities as to how we play helping us to just understand ourselves understand you know how we tick and what we how we find value in life basically um so it was really it was 
it was those phrases Sam was using, I think, that kind of made me recall um, what Stuart Brown was talking about. But um, just more widely, because um, I know I've moved from that research to working in student, um, to working in academic skills, more widely thinking about the value of playfulness within um undergraduate studies within within you know the life of a student um so it was it was a very kind of vague link I don't think I had any massive um revelations here but it was just yeah bringing that idea of of um the play studies that are coming from well and from education and education background but um but from anthropology as well yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fascinating that you've linked those together. You, you may be um, interested to know, Tilda, that we actually dedicated a whole episode to this exact aspect of leisure, of the playfulness aspect and exploring through stories as opposed to the academic discourses you've talked about, but through personal stories about what that playfulness is doing um, for people and doing different types of activity. Petia was our guest on that one. And um, so she's, she's smiling, though, for, for those of you who can't see you're listening to this. Super. Thanks, uh, Kat. Well, I think we are, as usual, very close to the wire with time. It's 12.14. Uh, we are due to finish at 12.15. I'm so grateful um, to our podcast contributors, to Kat, to Sam and Fiona, uh, for and for all the contributions and comments um, um, and questions from, from our audience. This has been fascinating.